Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope, a podcast about business, well-being and chocolate. Hello and welcome to our latest episode of Hope and Patience. It's wonderful to have you here. If you're new to the show, do have an exploration of our archives. Every guest has a gem or two to share with us. And don't forget to watch out for competitions on Instagram or subscribe to the HP newsletter to be in with a chance to win our chocolate bar. Hands up anyone who's taken up a new sport or invested in some new sports equipment over lockdown or eyeing up an action-packed adventure, perhaps with an extreme sport added into the mix. Today's guest has been in the world of adventure and extreme sport for over 25 years, setting up the first extreme sports TV channel, which partnered with the Giants UPC and Liberty Media in the 1990s, he has gone on to build his brand Extreme, which includes marketing, media, destinations, events, gaming, a mobile network, clothing, and consumer electronics. Partnerships include governments, tourist boards, councils, NatWest, Warner Brothers, and Black & Decker, to name but a few. He's on the advisory board of Kadia the 334,000 square kilometre sports, entertainment and cultural project in Saudi Arabia, and he's become a recent signatory to the United Nations Sports for Climate Action framework. And all this started out in a corner of his parents' garage when he was in his 20s. So time to introduce our guest, Alistair Gosling, founder and CEO of Extreme. Welcome to H&P Al. Amelia, thank you very much. Lovely to be here. And uh, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. So Al, you're totally self-taught and no one can doubt a true expert. How and where did it all come from to start Extreme? Oh, so a couple of sort of key drivers here, you know, real growing up passion for the ocean and for the mountains, predominantly skiing and surf and windsurf and sailing and flying actually but it was the two uh, those two others and diving and so real passion for the sports is where it where it stems from and just a love for the outdoors and you know had that passion for that area you know didn't go to university did a number of different jobs uh you know worked in the music industry worked in the city I went traveling I was in the Bahamas for about a year and a half working for a marine research center and then really came back and just wanted to mix this passion for the sports and business. And so, and, and really didn't want to work for someone else. So I thought, right, what am I going to do? So as you, as you rightly said, I moved home to my parents' house and uh, we literally set up in a garage and sort of went from there. And you did this with a business partner? Yeah, originally I had a great friend of mine, a guy called Tom Hutton, who I'm godfather to one of his children. He now lives in Australia. He left after about a year and a half, I think it was. Uh, I think, you know, some parental par- pressure. We were very young, 24, 25. And um, so, yeah, so sadly he left. But, uh, you know, he's, he's doing very, very well in Australia and, and super good friends. How did it go from setting up in a garage to a business that just took off with those incredible partnerships? We basically, we went from having this idea that we could run a TV distribution production company. And we basically built out 
anybody around the world, TV channel wise, that was interested in content of this area of extreme and adventure sports, basically we became the specialist and the go-to company for that on a worldwide basis. So we built that business up. And then uh, having done that for three or four years, we then had the idea that we could launch the TV channel, the extreme sports channel. And we basically ended up uh, looking for a partner for about a year and a half. And we met with, as you said, UPC, Europe's largest cable company. And we ended up partnering with them and we ended up launching it in 68 countries and around 100 million homes. So we built a reasonably sized media business and, and that really built the brand there. And that led us on to kind of the business that where we are today, which is, you know, our vision as a business is to drive positive change through extreme and adventure sports across the areas that we work. Were you trained in any of this at all? No, not at all. No, self-trained, dyslexic, uh, you know, I'm a, a blue-blooded entrepreneur, basically. So just, you know, have rolled the sleeves up and gone at it and made it work. Have you found that being dyslexic has affected your sort of motivation and your decisions? Did it give you the drive or did it ever create a lack of confidence with it? So I think... Interestingly, I have a view on dyslexia. So at school, you kind of go through school with dyslexia and you kind of get told quite a lot you're not particularly, you know, you're not particularly good in the academic environment. And actually that gives you some reasonably thick skin because you're not being told you're brilliant all the time, you're being told whatever you are. And so that builds up a, a layer of resilience, actually. And so then once you get out into the marketplace and you're trying to do something new, which we... We, we were and we still are. Um, when people say no, you kind of just shrug it off and go on to the next. And it doesn't affect you so much. Whereas if you've been at the top of your class all the way through school and you get told no, that's a big emotional setback. And so I think, uh, you know, my view is it gives you resilience. And I've definitely got a depth of resilience and grit when it gets at, at times it has got really, really hard that is, you know, is very, very deep, actually. And I'm able to deal with difficult, complex situations that others may not find so easy. And especially, I mean, you're similar age to me. In our day, it wasn't really sort of talked about or known much about. It was just, it was, it was very new. I mean, now it's everybody's much more aware of it and supportive, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, listen, in, in those days, it was, it was, I mean, you kind of got a bit of extra time in exams. But that was about it, really, and maybe a bit of help here and there. I mean, listen, I also I had the most amazing upbringing and, and, you know, very lucky in terms of support from my parents and all of those sides of things. So, you know, I had that maybe as a slight disadvantage, but the advantage I did have was the most incredible, you know, oak and granite sat underneath me with, with family, which was amazing and still have that today, which is I'm incredibly lucky. Were you adventurous as a child? Yes, <laughs> yeah. where's it your, come from oh uh, it, it just listen my father's a pilot um and he's a farmer by background but he's a pilot he he was doing stuff my mum not so much my mum amazing incredible mother in terms of just warmth and and looking after us as a team but yeah I mean my father was been air racing right up until a few years ago he's 74 now but you know, he, he he was the UK air racing championship. I think a champion, wow. I think four times in a row, even four or five years ago. I can't remember the exact details. But yes, there is a there is a degree of 
adventure that lives within the family that's for sure and and I had it from an early age and and um and continue to do so do you think that um having this sort of passion for extreme sports means that you're happier to take risks and you might have less fear with with potential business decisions there is definitely some similarities about where you're standing making a decision to drop out of a helicopter in northern <laughs> Canada in the middle of nowhere, 10 hours from the nearest city, it, you know, where those decisions or whether it's paddling out into, you know, reasonably large waves or the wind is howling and you're heading out on a board, the risk profile to some would they just go nowhere. I'm never going to do that. And so I think there's definitely some similarities uh, to a degree being prepared to take risks on things and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Yeah, so absolutely there's a connection there for sure. When you were sitting in your parents' garage, Al, did you have any idea of what you were going to achieve and where you would be like you are today? No, but I had a big vision. You know, I always had a kind of vision to build and to create. And I've read so many biographies and autobiographies of, well, successful people on, on all walks of life and definitely wanted to, 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 to do stuff and to be, you know, to make stuff happen is, is a really important thing for me on a personal basis. Uh, and so, no, had no idea it would get to, to, to where we are today. And, and, you know, we, we had huge success very, very young with, yeah. with, the, with the team that I was working with, uh, amazing team from, Adam Oliver to Ben Barrett to, you know, there was a whole team of people around us, uh, around me who were phenomenal. And, you know, we drove that forward and made it happen as a very young team. And it was uh, it was amazing. I mean, it was the first dot com bubble. Obviously, Martha Lane Fox, Brent Hopemall, all those guys were were kind of doing that. We were doing this. There was a there was a collection of us who were all running around at that time, which was um, which was it was. Yeah, it was super, super exciting. I mean, Al, in a way, you were a visionary. I mean, when it came to the Extreme Sports TV channel, nobody else was was doing that. You were the first, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, listen, there'd been many visionaries before me in terms of if you, if you take, you know, Ted Turner, who founded CNN, the news network, or you take uh, John Hendricks, who founded Discovery, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of people, and, and that's probably part of the influence came. I'd read those books on you know, those people who founded, you know, different TV networks over the year, MTV, there was a collect three or four guys who had the idea for MTV, MTV, for example. And so you kind of start going, okay, and this was a genre uh, that we really obviously were passionate about, believed in and needed to happen. And we were in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, I suppose. Is it as easy this time round with Extreme to build it up, you know, to grow and stay ahead of the curve? Um, we obviously, you know, we built the channel and we're now building out a very different business, which is across, you know, we have four main areas of business that we're driving, building out extreme and adventure sports destinations, large and large scale parks, which has also got accommodation, mm-hmm. tents, tree houses, lodges. You know, we've got the events part and we've got the media part. And listen, last time around, I was young and it moved very, very, very quickly and it exploded almost. This time round, it's taken me, you know, eight or nine, ten years to get to where we are. But we're now, interestingly, at the same moment in time, 
as we were with the TV channel. So now it's exploding, uh, but it's just taken me 10 years of grind to get it to where it is. But it's uh, but it's moving incredibly, incredibly fast as it stands right now. Really exciting. Yeah, very exciting. So how has COVID-19 affected you as a business? Uh, this year, and, and actually it's been amazing for us, I'll be honest. You know, it's been very tough for for many i'm so empathetic and mindful of that at that but it's been tough for us as well but in terms of progression what really happened was normally i was flying around the world every week i was moving i was talking to teams moving very very fast whereas where we've got to now is i was able to stop pause strategize spend time with the teams both with my direct you know reports in terms of the team around me in terms of the managing directors and we've got you know, five managing directors across the business. But also, I've been able to spend a lot of time with the younger team and the younger crews in those each of those areas. And that's been remarkably rewarding, I hope for them as it has been for me in terms of just questioning, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? What are we, you know, all of those going into that detail with them. And it's been amazing. And also throwing a lot of responsibility onto younger people. So we've got some 28, 30 year olds in the business who you know, I've put into, you know, really senior operational management roles and they're they're thriving, right? And they're really, really flying, which mm-hmm. has been super cool to see. So, yeah, so COVID for us, I mean, on the business front, it's been massively affected in terms of the events business, but we've kept that business developing and we're now getting back on the road. The media business has gone, you know, through the roof and the destination development business has really gone through the roof as well, you know, mainly because in COVID, as you said, a lot of people got active locally in whichever country they were in, they bought bikes and boards or equipment, and then they've gone out and got got really, really active, which has been, uh, which has been, you know, we're seeing this massive wave of participation coming through, which is, uh, which is super cool. And we're all desperate to get out as soon yeah. as we can. It's yeah. like that whole thing. I mean, Make hay while the sun shines. Absolutely. Out of interest, do your future designs now have to factor in a world? I'm thinking of the parks that you design, Al, where you have to factor in a world where we could have a series of pandemics and requirements for social distancing and other restrictions, not only with the layout that you potentially are designing, but also taking into consideration the financial viability of the development surviving future lockdowns and limited numbers? Um, Yes, we are to a degree. We're more focused on sustainability, if Mm -hmm. I'm honest. So you mentioned signing up to the UN Sport for Climate Change. We've also signed up for 1% for the planet. And we've also signed up to Planet Mark, who are measuring our impact. And so for us, the pandemic is going to be an ongoing thing uh, and we're managing that accordingly but far more important almost than the pandemic for us is sustainability at, at the core of kind of what we're doing and looking at you know everything and anything we do you know we're purpose driven as i said we want to drive positive change through extreme and adventure sports but anything we do sustainably we look at we look for it to drive health fitness well-being job creation tourism and that's part of it. So the pandemic is one part, but sustainability for us is is really, really a core, a core, uh, a, a bigger factor for us in, in, in a very big way in our minds right now. But also you will have to potentially think about redesigning layouts and things to factor in or not really? Yes, to a degree. Um, I mean, that's the great thing with, the, with generally what we're doing. 
a lot of it's outdoor a lot of it's you know one person again you know boy or girl you know competing for themselves and so that the way our projects are developed anyway is they're more individualistic than say if you've got a stadium for example and you know it is you're 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 working you, you know when you're doing these things it's you versus yourself or nature rather than it being team sports etc which is you know part of the attraction yeah how do you as an individual manage being agile with the roller coaster of business cycles and the constant challenges and demands with being at the helm really great question so 25 years of doing it probably is the start point. I run a very tight ship. I watch cash flow incredibly carefully and manage that and I'm managing it far more carefully now than I ever have. And I have an amazing, actually, probably the biggest thing, I have an amazing team around me. In fact, you know, if you take finance, Shona, if you take Nicola Packer, who's our COO and head of legal, you know, you take Ben Barker, who's running the destinations, James Cook Priest, who's running events. You take Ryan Maxwell, who's driving our partnerships uh, and media marketing part. You take Mark Dodd, who's running our media business. It's about having great people around you and them having great teams as well. And that's really gives me the ability to to move things. And actually, this a bit comes back to the point you, you asked earlier around the pandemic. What the pandemic has enabled me to do is stay in one place and manage things with all of these teams remotely. And but that has given me time to strategize and think because I'm not traveling around all the time. And you're, you're you know, you're working closely with with each of the different groups and each of the different managing directors and team I've got around us. Do you think it also gives you confidence? So the more challenges and demands that you have to go through and these business cycles the more you sort of survive and adjust that it gives you confidence with the next one. Totally. Yeah. Listen, experience. And I'm, I'm one of those people, I, I have a tough time listening. I have to experience and then learn from experience. Yes, I can read it in a book, but I just have to experience it. And having been doing this for 25 years, it's given me a great depth from which to call upon. I have another interesting point here, which for me anyway, is, is, is intuition. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a true believer in this mix of intellect and intuition. So here in the West, we very much believe in intellect is what you're taught at school. It's led by intellect. If you go to India, it's the other way around. Intuition is as important, if not at many times, is more important than than intellect. And so I, I have an amazing team of yeah, actually, amazing. And, and actually, if I you know look at it, females have more intuition than the men on the on the overall. And you know, I have some phenomenal senior level, you know, women around me in the team and males, and we're we're you know in the overall, which gives a really good balance in terms of you know decision process and thought process and crisis management or issue management or whatever, which is um yeah, which is which is really exciting. Would you say that you rely on your or, or extract on your intuition at all? Oh, I, I'm using it. I, I try to work my intellect and my intuition on a 50-50 basis. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's how, you know, you get a feel for these things. And again, that's partially down to experience and doing it for many years as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's 
yeah, very, very much so. I, I, I'm a true believer in the intuitive part as well, as I said. Al, you've got quite unusual investors in your business in the way that they're banks. And I, I'm not sure that many banks invest in businesses. What do you think that you have about you and the business to attract the likes of Kleinwart, Sockgen, Hambros? It's all about people and a good plan and what we're doing. And really, I think um, those investors have been around the business for a while. And, um, you know, I think it's an indication of the management team and the team I've got around us and what the vision is and what we're doing ultimately from that respect. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, very good. Do they introduce you to many of your clients? Are you allowed to sort of tap into their I'm, I'm Yeah, I'm uh, I, I actually, I, I, yeah, I've been super helpful over the years here and there, you know, and there's those investors who are super active, super strategic, really, really helpful and others who, you know, are not so. But yeah, it, it swings and roundabouts ultimately. In my chocolate business, I suffered with infringements on the IP and it irritated me massively and cost my business quite a lot of cash and still the unnamed company continued. You've been currently fighting on infringements with your IP with Extreme E. How has this tested you individually and as a brand? And do you think that the current IP law protect brands enough? Yeah, so we've got an interesting case pending with Extreme E, who we obviously met with a few years before they launched. And interestingly enough, we think it's phenomenal what they're doing in terms of driving the awareness of climate change. Um, But there's definitely an infringement going on in our view. And so the courts will tell. My Probably my one critique of the IP system is it just takes a long time, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a quick process. They're continuing to infringe. But, you know, we shall see what happens in terms of the overall uh, timing wise. What's also interesting is there's a lot of racing drivers involved, etc. now. And I don't think, you know, a lot of those people aren't aware of the infringement or of the behaviour that's gone on. So, you know, time will tell on this one. But uh, we've got some uh, some pending dates which are going to be key in terms of, uh, you know, lawyers and judges and people starting to make some decisions around this area with us and them. So we shall see. It's also such a huge expense. I mean, that's what I found. Uh, It's this relentless thing of letters going back and forth and empty promises and, you know, then needing more letters going back and forth to get some form of delivery. But there is such a fine, I think there's a really fine line on IP and protection. You know, it's, it's, people can change it slightly and then they can say, oh yeah, this is okay, when actually it's not okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, it is what it is and you have to work within the rules. Look, we've got some pretty amazing resources at our fingertips, phenomenal lawyers, you know, and you just have to uh, you have to, to work your way through the system as we are. So, um, you know, we shall see. What do you miss about the early days? Whoa. Um, actually, what's interesting is at the moment, it feels like the early days again. <laughs> <laughs> It's moving so fast with so many moving parts. You know, it was a young crew. We were running around, launching the channel all over the place, country after country, and to a degree, we're doing the same. It's just with a different team, and we're all slightly older and a little, a little bit more wiser, which is is. And actually, we appreciate. I appreciate it more. So in those days, it was just go, go, go. Whereas now, I'm kind of okay. There are some really good, fantastic things happening across the business. 
which are really, you know, dial movers. They're really, you know, and um, it's highly exciting on the overall. So, yeah, very, very cool. What skill set would you say that you've needed to build up the Extreme Sports TV channel and then Extreme? Tenacity, uh, definitely is a, you know, and, you know, listen, it's all of the usual. It's sales, it's watching, it's accounting, it's across all of the different areas, looking at absolutely everything. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's multifaceted, as you know, running any of these types of businesses. It's people skills, it's relationship building, it's, you know, it goes on and on and on. But uh, yeah, I could probably talk on that one for an hour or so. <laughs> What's tested you most, would you say? Probably in the early days, I wasn't very good at politics. Yeah, and just the dynamics there made some mistakes for sure here and there. These days, I think, um, you know, a little longer in the tooth, a little bit, uh, you know, more hopefully street smart and empathetic as well, actually. Who or what has been the greatest influence and why? I've got influences coming from lots of different places. So I got really random influence. I, I mentioned some influences on the media side, launching TV channels. So, you know, the team that launched MTV or Ted Turner with CNN, some of these big, you know, guys who've, and girls who've launched channels have been very influential. If you then move across into, into the destination business and what we're building, you know, parks and resorts around the world, you know, Walt Disney, right? I mean, Walt Disney had the vision for the first proper theme park in Anaheim in California. So amazingly, just, just you know, hats off to him in that space in terms of being a pioneer. It's the pioneers, really. And then, so there's just a bunch of different people from from the, from the business space. And then at, on the home front, it's obviously family, my wife, Amber, children, my parents, all of those things, which... Uh, which, uh, and my friends ultimately as well. So yeah, very cool. How does it work working with your wife? We manage it very carefully in terms of Nicola, our COO, kind of manages that whole process. Uh, you know, we interact occasionally, but um, yeah, she, she, we manage that, you know, very, very well between us. And we're, you know, it's, it's super good. And you switch off when you're at home? Or as much as anyone does oh, when you run your own in business. The, in these days, it's <laughs> it's got harder and harder because we're all, you know, we're not traveling so much and everything else. But yes, I mean, look, we're, you know, it, the last 12 months with COVID have been a sprint um, mm. and it's been extraordinary. I'm working harder now than I have for a long, long time. Uh, but we're making, in a, I reckon at the moment, in a, in a week, we're 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 doing a month of you know you're you're gaining a month that would have normally taken a month if not maybe even two months of, wow. of traction which is which is super cool. Have you had any serendipitous moments, those sort of coffee spill moments that open doors? Yeah, listen, being asked to, I'm just thinking that through meeting the team from UPC and Liberty Media at a trade show, age twenty six, twenty five back in 1998 was a pretty serendipitous moment in terms of making stuff happen. Massive. Um, you know, because if I hadn't met those guys, the whole journey would have been very different. Right. So, uh, but there's that old adage, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And uh, yeah, that's, I would definitely say that's part of it. So that's probably a, that's a very big moment in terms of the overall. Do you think that um, the success side is luck 
or hard work? Or do you think hard work creates the luck? It's a bit of both. Yeah. It's also about positioning and getting the ducks aligned, the people and the ducks aligned. And it just to get everything lined up to really, really get this, you know, what you can call blitzkrieg growth. So growth that just goes super fast, which is what we're experiencing right now. You just got to get a lot of things lined up in the right way and everything humming together to really make it work. And that takes a lot, a lot of work uh, and a lot of grind and a lot of a lot of pieces in play at the right moment, at the right time, in the right way um, to make it to make it happen. What would you say that you've learned about yourself? I would say, listen, we had a huge amount of success with the TV channel when I was very young. And at times that created arrogance. And looking back on it, there were moments where I just look back on that and think, oh, no, you just know, you know. And now looking at trying to be actually, you know, got two small children, more empathetic, more mindful, more more kind of thoughtful and actually the ability to leverage what we've done to date and our vision as we as i've said a few times is to drive positive change and we really can we can move the dial i truly believe we can move the dial uh on a worldwide basis in a number of places number of countries and really drive health fitness well-being job creation because we all love the sports and so you're kind of you're just bringing you're opening this up to people and so that's that's probably you know one of the great things that we're you know we're working on right now and and when when we're doing business there's just no need to be aggressive or you know you can work this without without being you know a certain way and actually then when you're dealing with family or whatever it's it's being proud of that and being you know being part of that which is really important from my side okay so now we're going to move into the quick fire round before our quick chocolate break optimists or pessimists Optimist. Introvert, extrovert or ambivert? Extrovert. <laughs> You're very quick on that one, Al. <laughs> yep. Perfectionist, non-perfectionist? In the middle. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. OK, so now it is time for the chocolate break. And Al is not really a chocolate lover, if the truth be known. And I kept saying in my emails, can you please let me know your chocolate bar? And nothing was forthcoming. So in the end, I said, I really do need to know. So he said, OK, dark, I like dark chocolate, green and blacks, organic. So that's what we have to taste. And it, it has to be the most popular um, bar actually on the show. Oh, no. Uh, so there very, you go. <laughs> very, 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 very uh, straightforward, yeah. Well, the next um, series, I'm actually going to, I think I'm going to take the plunge and I'm going to pick chocolate for people and send it to them. So, amazing. <laughs> so uh, very good idea. There is, there is actually, we have, in, you know, there is chocolate-coated honeycomb and I haven't got a brand or whatever. But, yeah, that's delicious. You know, there's there's probably the green and blacks we talked about, but if you get really good honeycomb with good coated in chocolate, for me, that uh, that's probably, uh, uh, that that's, yeah. I'm going to give a little shout-out then for a very good chocolate honeycomb by a guy called Al, and he's based in the West Country, and his chocolate company is the Chocolate Society. Oh, and I love it. It is really good dark chocolate coated honeycomb. Brilliant. So 
no time to rest into the well-being side. Now, obviously, Al, I know that you're going to be ticking every box, but I'm still going to ask them. How important is incorporating well-being into your day? It's pretty important. You know, my wife is a, a massive, as I think you may know, Amber Nuttall, massive environmentalist, and she also at home, vegan, uh, you know. And so well-being for me is cycling now on a regular basis but also the whole way through this winter mm -hmm. um we have a lake that's near the house and we've been swimming every day so wild well cold well, swimming wild cold swimming, swimming. <laughs> yeah and without a wetsuit and and Ooh. i would say my wife is a cold water swimmer wow. i'm more of a cold water plunger uh <laughs> but but we broke ice a lot really <laughs> the winter yeah 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 so there's a jetty, you break the ice, you jump in, you're in there for 30 seconds, whatever, uh, and then I, I'm out. She tend, she'll hang for longer. Uh, but yeah, so we did that the whole way through this winter. So really for me, wellness is about the food intake, what goes mm -hmm. in, the quality of that. It's then about regular exercise. And actually the exercise is critical from a stress perspective, just de-stressing. And then the cold water swimming in terms of that overall mix as well. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to one of our guests and, and they're into having cold showers, which I was, and then I slackened off and I moved. But it, 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 there is also Wilhelm Hoff, which is similar to what you're doing. He dives into ice buckets. There is something, I think it is that sort of initial thing that just sends your body, it just makes it come alive. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. It's it's changes, We you know, I've been doing it at lunchtime through winter on a regular basis and you get that kind of lag in energy at about after lunch or lunchtime in the middle of a workday. And if you drop into ice water for 30 seconds, a minute, whatever you do, the, the afternoon, trust me, is back on flying form at a level and a pace that's, you know, back on it. Yeah, and you probably work for longer. So for stress, Al, would you say, I mean, how does that affect you physically and mentally? I'm reasonably resilient. In fact, very resilient, you know, Sleep at times is hard when it's really on the go. And I'm an early bird, so I'm, I'm getting up at the moment super early, depending on what's happening. But the passion and the drive comes in there. So, yeah, I think it's the physical exercise is so important on a regular basis, as is what food goes into the system ultimately is what we're, you know, we're managing it from, from that side of things. So you're both vegan, are you? My wife is very much so. Well, we have... Actually, we have chickens, so there's eggs going in. I am not. I'm eating fish and white meat occasionally, but yeah, we're 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 but yeah, we're but it's it's thought through in terms of what goes in and sustainability and all of those things. What music makes you feel good, and what book would you miss if it wasn't on your bookshelf? Oh, amazing question! I mean, I have bookshelves right and left of me in my office here stacked full of <laughs> wonderful wonderful tones um music wise there's an album um in fact there's a director a film director and a and a, a an artist who wrote all the scores a, a guy called Luc Besson and Eric Serrar so Luc Besson he directed a movie called Subway The Big Blue uh, and a bunch of other bigger Hollywood movies but when those guys got together as a creative pair both of them French uh, in the early days, Subway was an amazing film, as was The Big Blue. And the soundtrack for me that is just utterly amazing is the soundtrack from The Big Blue, the movie. 
it just it just it's amazing but in terms of the overall i mean i have a very varied taste as my children would tell you somewhat embarrassing at times from <laughs> yeah across board actually and actually i love the fact that with my children they, they especially my daughter amelie there's just a massive love of music and we now swap songs and hey have you seen this one or that one and it's just a, a wonderful connection point and then books wise I don't really I don't have a favorite like book I just I read a lot I'm reading all the time you know and it's very broad my my kind of what I'm reading there's a book by Mark McCormack who founded the sports marketing agency called what they don't teach you at Harvard Business School which is uh, an amazing amazing book he, he sadly is dead now but was kind of the godfather of sports marketing that book was pretty influential in the overall and actually, if you, you know, talking work and business again, if you go back and look at Dale Carnegie, Dale Carnegie's mm-hmm. book, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People, there's some amazing messages in that from that side of things, which is which is interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't have a, you know, I don't have a have a any specific one. Those are very business orientated, but I'm reading all sorts of all the time, ultimately. Al, what do you, how do you perceive the word success and failure? What do they mean to you? Uh, great question. Um, success to a degree is balance and freedom and making sure those things are balanced. And just, just again, driving positive change. It comes back to that's our vision and our mission. And, and that's something that we're really, really, you know, I'm, I'm loving. And failure... Yeah, just, uh, you know, I don't think about it, actually, failure, funnily enough, uh, so much. It's it's the optimist in me. And look, there's there's obviously family life and there's work, right? And both of those areas in terms of thought process. But yeah, failure to me is um, almost don't think, not an option. And Al, where have you had to have hope and patience? Oh, well, having come out of the TV channel business and then building the brand franchise and the brand back up, it's been tenacity and patience and grinding that through in terms of the overall, uh, which has probably been a been a key that's been a key driver from from my side. And and that patience to to work that through has been a, a you know really, really a, a real key driver there. And finally, what advice would you give for people who are thinking of setting up their own business or in the early stages or just rolling along with their businesses at the moment? So if you think about setting up, plan it as much as you can and play in a space that you know, uh, if you can, and really, really just believe in yourself, but not so much. You have to keep, it's like a you're adjusting a boat, you know, the tiller on a boat or mm-hmm. the ailerons on an aeroplane or the rudder on an aeroplane at all times. It's these little tweaks that can, or do you need to take a big turn left or turn right or do a U-turn? And, and that, to a degree, if somebody's running an existing business and it's not working, it is, it's about continuously changing, adapting, believing in what you're doing to, to drive it and to make it happen. So, you know, that's, that's the, it's, a, it's those adjustments, big or small, just keep adjusting and keep, keep, keep driving it. Wise words. So where can the lovely listeners find you and your team at Extreme, Al? Yeah, so website-wise, extremeinternational.com, Facebook, Extreme Official, 
And then, you know, LinkedIn in terms of another another place, just look us up on, on LinkedIn. We're, we're well networked in that area, obviously. But uh, yeah, and then where we are worldwide, scattered, uh, I will say location-wise, we run a digital nomad strategy here. So anybody can be based wherever. In fact, Ben Barker, our managing director of destinations is based amazingly enough in the Seychelles. Oh, um, lucky guy. <laughs> lucky, lucky him. Um, you don't want to be on a video conference call, Zoom call <laughs> with him, uh, you know, as he just, you know, on a wet Wednesday <laughs> afternoon in February. Um, but yeah, so uh, two, two, two answers there. Thank you, Al, so much for coming on the show. You are a very, very busy man. Anyway, before I go, it's time for my book recommendation and quote for this episode. The book is Divine Beauty, The Invisible Embrace by John O'Donoghue. Uh, and it's really about our relationship with beauty and divine beauty. And he's the most incredible writer. If you haven't explored his books, do. The first book I read that got me completely hooked was called Anamkara which is all about soulmates. Uh, and this is his third book, and I thought very appropriate for the time that we're all existing in. And the quote is by Sir Ernest Shackleton. Difficulties are just things to overcome, after all. A huge thank you for finding the show. I hope you enjoyed the chat. Don't forget to subscribe or follow to get the latest episode. And if you're enjoying the show, it would be truly fab if you could rate and review it or share it with a mate or two who might find the gems super helpful. Any book recommendations, quotes, songs can be found in the show notes and on the website too. Until the next time, however tough the times get, keep that inner sparkle you have shining. Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope. Join the conversation at hopeandpatience.co.uk. Find Amelia on Facebook at Hope and Patience or on Twitter and Instagram at Amelia underscore Rope.